0: Tonight on The Readout.
1: Does change anything? I, I mean, do you want my opinion? And you're listening. Not a damn thing. So I don't care if Herschel Walker paid to abort endangered baby eagles. I want control of the Senate.
0: Did you hear that? The Herschel Walker exception. Republicans want to eliminate all access to abortion in America for you. But if Herschel Walker or any other rich Republican or Republican at all was involved in an abortion, well, we're just gonna have to pretend it never happened. Plus, Ron Johnson's statement that January 6th was no armed insurrection, well, that did not age well. In fact, it was refuted in the Oath Keepers trial the day before he said it. And Cori Bush is here on the challenges she overcame to make it all the way to Congress and why these midterm elections in five weeks are so vitally important. We, but we begin the readout tonight with President Biden and the First Lady touring the damage in Florida today, one week after Hurricane Ian made landfall. The storm has killed more than 100 people and left thousands without a home to return to. President Biden met with some of those families whose lives were upended, promising to help them rebuild.
2: Today, we have one job and only one job. And that's to make sure the people of Florida get everything that they need to Fully, thoroughly recover.
0: The president also met with Florida leaders, including Republican Governor Ron DeSantis. The two played nice, shaking hands and exchanging thank yous. It comes after DeSantis just yesterday had this to say about Hurricane Ian.
3: Quite frankly, you know, you have national regime media that they wanted to see Tampa because they thought that that'd be worse for Florida. That's yeah. how these people think. Yeah. I mean, they they they're, they don't care about the people of this state. They don't care about the people of this community. They want to use storms and destruction from storms as a way to advance their agenda.
0: National regime media. Those comments came—those comments uh, just so happened to come the same day DeSantis brought actual relief efforts to a halt. In Fort Myers, so he could do a photo op wearing campaign gear and a pair of mysteriously squeaky clean knee-high white boots. Those boots sparked a lot of joy on the socials with all the memes. But DeSantis, you know, he would never, never use a deadly storm to pursue a political agenda, right? And no responsible Florida elected official would ignore key issues like climate change, which science has proved is contributing directly to making superstorms like Ian stronger, would they? Well... The New York Times writes about Ian that the storm grew in intensity because it passed over ocean water that was two to three degrees warmer than normal for this time of year, NASA data show. Its destructive power was made worse by rising seas. The water off the southwest coast of Florida has risen more than seven inches since 1965, according to data from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Finally, warmer air resulting from climate change increased the amount of rain that Ian dropped on Florida by at least 10 percent, or about two extra inches in some places, according to a study released last week. Scientists call Florida one of the most susceptible states to global warming. And yet DeSantis and other Republicans have opposed the very efforts that would mitigate disasters like Ian. More from The New York Times. Senators Marco Rubio and Rick Scott voted against last year's bipartisan infrastructure law, which devotes some $50 billion to help states better prepare for events like Ian because they said it was wasteful. And in August, they joined every fellow Republican in the Senate to oppose a new climate law that invests $369 billion in reducing greenhouse gas emissions. At the same time, DeSantis has blocked the state's pension fund from taking climate change into account when making investment decisions, saying that politics should be absent from financial calculations. There's also the fact that when Senator Rick Scott was governor in 2015, officials at the Florida Department of Environmental Protection reportedly weren't allowed to even use the terms climate change or global warming in any official communications. And even if you put all that aside, it is ironic That DeSantis would point fingers at the media, talking about a political agenda. When last week, as the Miami Herald points out, when it became clear that Hurricane Ian was headed to Florida, he advised people in low-lying areas to evacuate. But then he couched the advice with politics. He emphasized that Floridians had the freedom not to evacuate, echoing his culture wars and the Keep Florida Free campaign signs people have on their lawns. He would not, he said, mandate anything in the free state of Florida. God knows how many lives that may have cost. Congresswoman Val Demings will join me in a moment. But first, let's bring in former governor and former Congressman Charlie Crist, the Democratic nominee for Florida governor. And Governor Crist, I I I am glad that you are available to be here tonight because, you know, a governor's job in a state like Florida that is so vulnerable to storms, you would think that a governor would want to mitigate the harm from those storms. But the the two previous Republican governors, um, Rick Scott and DeSantis, have seemed to do the opposite. Your thoughts?
2: Well, I couldn't agree more. And it's unfortunate because we're paying the price for that. Uh, climate change is, is real. It is a present danger to us. Uh, it exacerbated what happened with Hurricane Ian. Uh, and, you know, as governor before, I held the first climate change summit in the history of Florida, along with Governor Schwarzenegger, because I knew at the time that this was a real situation, something we had to face and something we had to realize was going to create bigger storms. I mean, this hurricane that we just had was three times bigger than Hurricane Charlie. Charlie was just as powerful, about 150, 155 mile per hour winds. But Ian was three times larger Uh, Because as you stated in the opening, the warmth of the Gulf of Mexico is adding to the fuel to the fire of these storms and the impact it's having on real people and regrettably, most regrettably, the deaths that we've experienced in Florida.
0: And, you know, you mentioned Governor Schwarzenegger, who was governor of California when you were governor previously in Florida. The two of you also shared in common getting excoriated by your then party for accepting stimulus money from President Obama, who is, you know, a persona non grata. No one's even supposed to talk to him or in any way go near him. But, but the idea is Florida now must take federal money, right? Because Florida is so vulnerable, it's inevitable that every Florida governor is going to have to at some point ask the federal government, government for a lot of money. And it looks like it's going to get worse. What do you make of DeSantis, who is a Tea Partier and who voted against giving money to Hurricane Sandy, now having to play nice with President Biden because he needs the money? And don't you think he'll need it again?
2: No question. And and it's ironic. I mean, as you pointed out, Governor DeSantis voted against helping uh, when Hurricane Sandy uh, came to the northeastern part of the United States. But now when it's on us, He's in the awkward ideological position that doesn't jive with his ideology to have to ask for federal money. Listen, I'm glad he's doing it because Florida does need it. There's no question about it. But, you know, it, it sure would be nice to be kind of consistent about what you believe versus what you think is an emergency situation. And so you have to change uh, what's happening. Um, he, he just seems to be inconsistent on so many things. You know, he talks <laughs> about freedom, for example. Yet he wants to attack a woman's right to choose. I mean, it's inconsistent all the way.
0: Uh, You know, uh, it's obvious that Governor DeSantis is hoping to win re-election by sizable enough margins we can run for president. I think that's obvious to everyone. He's raising a lot of money. Uh, He has been doing a lot of politicking while he's out there, including forcing some relief workers to stop working so that he could do this photo op in those weird boots. But let me play what some people who live in the affected area. This is Fort Myers. Our reporter, Kerry Sanders, was out there, and this is what he heard.
4: Do you feel ignored here?
0: Yes, very much. No Red Cross, no
3: FEMA, no nothing. They work just as hard, it's gonna make
0: me cry, they work just as hard as the people on the beach did and they're not getting the attention here
1: because it's not the beach. It's not a seaside home. Because we are Latino, black, poor people, working people, that's, that's the way it is.
0: We've seen other reports like that of people who don't live in the Sanibel area, the more affluent areas, feeling like no one is coming out to help them. Um, You know, what do you think should be done as as if you were governor uh, to make sure that the help is spreading and that people are getting what they need? And are you concerned that there's not enough helping going to inland areas?
2: Of course, of course. I mean, yesterday I was in Fort Myers and I was in a neighborhood called Harlem Heights. It is mostly African-American. It's mostly Latino. They said nobody had been there. No cameras had, had seen what happened to them. And it was devastating, Joanne. And, you know, to be there and at least be able to shine a light on it uh, for some period of time, I think, is extremely important. I did that yesterday and not even governor yet. Um, you know, I look forward to the time when I can be the governor of Florida, help those people, help all Floridians, go to Charlie Chris com and, and give us a hand and we'll get this job done in 34 days. We'll have new leadership in the sunshine state.
0: The challenge that you're having right now is that DeSantis appears to have sort of strengthened his hand. I mean, there is a plurality in your state that has no problem with the sort of cruel immigration immigration tricks, flying people around this, the country. There's a there's a cruelty factor Let's be honest, inside of Republican politics right now, and Florida is becoming a more and more Republican state. You used to be a Republican. You are familiar with those folks. You battled those folks even from within the party. Can you diagnose for us what that's about? Why is it that it does feel like cruelty actually is quite popular in some ways in the party and it's not hurting DeSantis, it's actually helping him?
2: Well, certainly with some and within the party, it's helping him. Uh, but Democrats, independents, and frankly, moderate Republicans, too, Joanne. Uh, I, I can tell you, a day doesn't go by that I run into people, you know, at the gas station or the CVS or whatever it might be and say, Charlie, I'm a Republican. I'm voting for you. I've had it. I, I can't stand the way this man treats other human beings, using them, you know, treating them like cattle, like he did flying those from Texas, uh, the Venezuelans up to Massachusetts. I mean, it's just unconscionable. And that kind of activity and, and you know, being against LGBTQ, being against a woman's right to choose, uh, being against African-Americans and their right to vote, making it harder for minorities throughout the state to vote in this upcoming election. You know, it it gets old after a while. And they're right. There is an element within the party that likes it. But I think it's a growing group of people that do not like it and want us to be more decent to our fellow men and fellow women.
0: We will definitely be watching uh, what happens in Florida. Former governor, uh, Charlie Crist, uh, who is running for governor again. Thank you, sir, very much. Uh, coming up, let's bring in now a Democratic nominee for United States Senate from Florida, Congresswoman Val Demings. Congresswoman, thank you so much for being here. I know we had a little bit of a sound issue to get you uh, on board, so thank you. I'm glad you stuck with us uh, and our, and, uh, and and got through the tech. But I I, I do want to ask you kind of a similar question. You know, you're, you're running against Marco Rubio, who, you know, he didn't take the, the move to vote a against the allocation that was just passed by Congress, the House and the Senate for Florida. But he didn't show up to vote for it. He actually didn't vote at all. Um, The entire Florida Republican House caucus voted against the money to help Florida through Hurricane Ian. Your opponent didn't vote at all. Is there any sign that he pays a price for that?
5: Well, Joy, it's good to be with you. And uh, what a strange time we find ourselves in. Uh, He should pay a price for that. You know, our primary responsibility as elected officials is to protect the health, safety and well-being of the people that we serve. And if there's any time, Joy, that we should lay politics aside, it dang on should be during a natural disaster, especially one like Hurricane Ian, that over 100 people or have lost their lives, many people have lost everything they own. This is a tough time. And for Marco Rubio to not vote at all, which is almost worse, because at the very least he could do is to show up and do his job. But to not show up at all, to me, not showing up, being absent, is a no. And so when people needed him the most in Florida, in his home state, he was not there. And so there certainly should be a price for him to pay. Florida deserves better.
0: You know, what's interesting about Mark Rubio's career, just having lived down there a long time and sort of watched how he works, is that he seems to walk toward what feels like the middle position, the centrist position on things like immigration, where his staff helped write the bill that was going to be the finally solving the immigration issue, which we know must be solved somehow. And he, he got really close to it and then Rush Limbaugh yelled at him and they went, no, 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 I don't want anything to do with it. I'm against it. And now on this, I mean, he voted because he decided he was then a born again tea partier. He was against the aid for Hurricane Sandy. He said, well, that was full of pork. I didn't want to vote for that. He recently justified it. And now when it comes to Hurricane Ian, it does feel like he can't vote for the money because the MAGAs won't like it and the Tea Party won't like it, but he won't vote against it. I don't understand what his politics are. And yet he is being rewarded for it in the polls. Why do you suppose that is?
5: Well, Joy, you know, our job in this race is to make sure that people understand who the real Marco Rubio is. And look what you just talked about, about an immigration bill. Now, he'll complain about border security, which we all understand we need to secure our borders. No, we do not have open borders. That's almost an insult to the men and women on the ground there who protect our borders. But he will appear that he's walking towards the right thing, But people need to look at where Marco Rubio always seems to end up. And that's the wrong thing. He actually encouraged people not to vote for the immigration bill, which he claims is this bill after, as you indicated, one person yelled at him. And so the bottom line is, what did Maya Angelou say? When people show you who they are, believe them the first time over and over again, time and time again, when Florida has needed Marco Rubio the most. He has not shown up. And so me, Florida, again, deserves we deserve better.
0: Let, let me ask you about you. Obviously, come from that central Florida region. Your home is there or, or we don't know how Orange County, if you could just elucidate us. How did Orange County fare? I know that the Tampa area dodged a bit of a bullet, but we know there's still a lot of destruction everywhere. Um, how
5: is your district faring? Well, Joy, it's interesting. I had just gotten back from Puerto Rico as the chair of the Emergency Preparedness uh, Re- Response and Recovery Subcommittee. We went there to assess the damage and came home to Hurricane Ian. Look, we mm-hmm. had a tremendous amount of flooding here in the area. Over 200,000 people were without power. Thank God power has been restored for the overwhelming majority of those people. But we had a lot of flooding in the area. We had an opportunity to go out with the FEMA administrator and, and do have a briefing and tour some areas. And so we certainly have a long ways to go, but we were not hit anywhere near as hard as, you know, the Fort Myers-Lee County uh, area was. I'm glad the president was there today. I I hope that it was a beneficial uh, trip for him and that there weren't uh, too much uh, politics being played uh, down there. But as I said, at this time, during this critical time in Florida's history, we need somebody who wants to govern, somebody that wants to take care of all people, somebody who wants to vote for 18.8 billion dollars in disaster relief for people who desperately need it. And so, if there are people who are listening who'd certainly love to support my campaign, I certainly would love their support. My website is valdemings.com.
0: The first rule of uh, being on TV as a candidate, always give out the website. uh, And you've done that. Uh, Thank you very much. We really appreciate you, Congresswoman Val Demings. Thank you. And up next on the readout, the verdict is in from Herschel Walker's fellow Republicans. We don't care if he paid for an abortion. I mean, we don't care if he lied about it. We don't care if he was violently abusive toward his family. We just want to win. The readout continues after this. So Republicans are they're not even pretending anymore as they circle the wagons around Georgia Senate candidate Herschel Walker after the Daily Beast exposed his raging hypocrisy. The rich former football star who wants to completely ban abortion for the little people allegedly paid for a girlfriend's abortion back in 2009 because the timing of the pregnancy was inconvenient for him. Today, Walker made another appearance on Fox denying the allegations.
3: It's sort of like everyone is anonymous or everyone is leaking and they want you to confess to something you have no clue about. It's like they're trying to uh, bring up my past to hurt me, but they don't know like bringing up my past only energize me to go out and fight even harder.
0: Home team's always helping. On Tuesday, another longtime Georgia politician who's also no stranger to hypocrisy when it comes to the sanctity of marriage, former House Speaker Newt Gingrich, offered this puzzling defense.
2: I think he's the most important Senate candidate in the country because he'll do more to change the Senate just by the sheer presence, by his confidence, by his deep commitment to Christ, by the degree to which he is. You know, he's been through a long, tough period. He had a lot of concussions coming out of football.
0: The concussions are really going to help. Not content to be left out today, Senator Lindsey Graham always so steadfast in his beliefs, piped in in a Twitter screed, saying, among other things, it didn't work when they tried to destroy Brett Kavanaugh and it will not work on Georgia today. By right, bringing up Kavanaugh, Graham echoed Senator Rick Scott, who said Tuesday that Republicans will stand with Walker. The same Medicare fraud adjacent Rick Scott who wouldn't condemn the former president's racist attack on former Transportation Secretary Elaine Chow. Republican leader Mitch McConnell's wife, who, you know, Mitch McConnell got threatened with death, as Coco Chow shows you how much they really care about women. Because in their race to defend Walker, Republicans have finally literally exposed themselves. And right-wing radio host Dana Loesch, or however you pronounce it, made it as plain as day.
1: So I don't care if Herschel Walker paid to abort endangered baby eagles. I want control of the Senate. If the Daily Beast story is true, you're telling me Walker used his money to reportedly pay some skank for an abortion, and Warnock wants to use all of our monies to pay a whole bunch of skanks for abortions.
0: You hear that, ladies? Got it? Joining me now, Jason Johnson, professor of journalism and politics at Morgan State University and host of the Slate podcast, A Word. With Jason Johnson. So, Jason, now that I understand the cosmology, the fetus of a black woman or, the, or a black man-created fetus ranks below the baby eagle uh, <laughs> on the scale of importance, and then all women are skanks, your witness.
3: I am absolutely impressed that all of them are just so blatantly obvious yeah. at this point. It saves us so much trouble, right? Like yes. we don't have to pretend for the next couple of weeks that this yes. has anything to do with policy. We don't have to pretend yeah. that 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 when Herschel Walker does his mumble rapper impression, when he actually has his debate with Raphael, Moore, we don't have to pretend that anything he says actually matters. All they need is a warm black face to yes. rubber stamp Mitch McConnell. And I'm sure if 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 Herschel Walker actually managed to get himself into the Senate and was directed around the room cuz he wouldn't be able to read the signs on his own, he'll do what they want. That's all the Republicans care about. They don't care about abortion. They don't care about life. They don't care about facts. They don't care about morals. You can't tell me Newt Gingrich that Herschel Walker is a stronger Christian than a man who was an actual reverend of the church (laughs) that MLK used to actually preach at. But that is what it's about. It's all about power. And now they're just being obvious about it.
0: Oh, Jay- oh, oh, Jason, you know Newt Gingrich has been married three times. He did it until he got it right. That's how much he believes in marriage. He went from—didn't he marry his, like, high school <laughs> geometry teacher first, and then he dumped her, and then he married another lady, and then he married yes. Calista, and then she went to the Vatican. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, let's play Herschel Walker's new ad.
3: <laughs> As everyone knows, I had a real battle with mental health. Even wrote a book about it. And by the grace of God, I've overcome it. not arts a preacher. Who doesn't tell the truth. He doesn't even believe in redemption.
2: I'm Herschel Walker, Save my grace.
0: I mean, first of all, redemption requires you to admit fault and ask for forgiveness, but that will work. I mean, the, the thing about it is that will be enough. And he will, and I, you and I both said the same thing on Twitter. He will not lose one single voter because of this scandal. No, right.
3: No, no. Yeah. Enjoy. And here's the thing. Uh, As much as that ad gives me really strong honk if you love Jesus energy, um, it doesn't really say anything about the scandals. It doesn't explain to the public um, why I paid for an abortion with a check. It doesn't explain why my son who used to be an advocate for me is now saying I was a terrible absentee it doesn't actually address any of the accusations or the evidence against him it's just him kind of talking on the air and and we knew that was going to be the case what i think is kind of critical here though and we've been pointing this sort of out all along throughout this campaign season that it's not an issue of Herschel Walker gaining or losing votes at this moment this point there's not much elasticity there aren't many swing voters in georgia the right. issue is going to be how many republicans decide i just can't bring myself to vote for them because they're not going to switch to Warnock. But if they decide that they can't vote for Herschel Walker, that might be enough for Reverend Warnock to win.
0: And and there's the issue of their ticket splitting, which does seem like there's some weird sort of ticket splitting energy. Um, We can talk about it another time, but I do have to play this for you because before Dana Loesch, you know, told it, Matt Walsh told it first. I have to give him credit. Let me give him sheer credit for back in 2011. He told it. People just weren't listening. Here's Matt Walsh.
3: Girls between the ages of, like, 17 and 24 is when they're technically most fertile. Yeah. Okay? That's biological. That's a fact, all right? I'm just stating facts. That's all I'm doing. But what happened recently, and this is the the fourth fact, recently in the last 30 years or so, we decided that that's way too young to start a family. So what I'm saying is that the problem is not per se teenage pregnancy. It's unwed pregnancy.
0: I mean, I feel like some of us who may be a bit more cynical about it have kind of understood that the whole pro-life thing has never been real, right? It's really great branding, but it isn't real, right? It's just they just want power and they would love to have women under control and they feel women are out of control. The problem is modernity, right? It's that modern women are harder to control. They go off and they get their little fancy college educations. Then they want to compete with you in the workplace. They want to do the stuff men can do. They want to play sports like men. They all of a sudden don't want to be under control and a teenager who's stuck at home raising a bunch of children she has no idea how to raise is actually really controllable. And I feel like we now can have an honest conversation now that Republicans are breathtakingly willing to have it, that that is what it is, is that modernity is what bothers them, not abortion.
3: Matt Walsh just delivered the hottest Tinder profile in Gilead, right? <laughs> like, that's pretty much what he said. I'm just- looking for just looking for a nice undereducated woman under the age of 18 to pop out my babies and listen to me talk about how smart I am. we, We know that's what these guys are about. We know that's what the women who support them are about. The issue is how many people who will be under the thumb or the watchful eye, of these kinds of politicians are willing to take that fear and anxiety and turn it into votes. Because I promise you, let's say that Herschel Walker loses the race and Raphael Warnock wins. That's great. But guess what? If Brian Kemp wins re-election, he's going to try and snatch those rights, too. So it's just as important for those ticket splitters out there to recognize that Raphael Warnock and Stacey Abrams are the combination that you need for Georgia.
0: Well, and that and that is important to note that Kemp is getting a huge pass on being one of the most anti-abortion, pro-state control of women candidates and governors in the country, and he's sliding by because because Herschel Walker is so bananas that people are not focusing on Brian Kemp. We should have you back. We got to talk about Kemp at some point because that's the other major point here. Uh, Jason Johnson, always appreciate you. Thank you. Coming up next, Senator Ron Johnson. He had the gall yesterday, okay, get this, to claim that January 6th was not, not an armed insurrection. On the same day as the United States government presented audio evidence of Oath discussing bringing, wait for it, weapons to fight for Trump. We'll be right back. Wisconsin Senator and insurrection revisionist Ron Johnson is once again showing voters exactly who he is and what he stands for in recent remarks about the January 6th attack on the Capitol.
4: Now, some protesters did teach us all how you can use fly holes and that kind of stuff as weapons, well. but to call what happened on January 6th an armed insurrection, I just think is not accurate.
0: The remarks are a delusional and cruel description of what really happened: the breached barricades, the broken glass, and bodies, the, the, and bodies trampled. Our sacred halls occupied, vandalized, and looted by a group we would later learn that included paramilitary types armed with AR-15 style rifles and other weapons, even hiding in trees. And there are there is new evidence of these insurrectionists taking up arms against the United States. Elmer Stewart Rhodes, the Oath Keepers leader, along with four of his compatriots, are on trial in federal court for seditious conspiracy. Federal prosecutors played an audio recording in court of Rhodes in an alleged November 2020 Oath Keepers planning meeting that discussed plans to bring weapons to Washington. So we're
3: going to have a QRF on QRF, but that QRF will be awaiting the president's orders. Okay. That's our official position. Do you want some Oath Keepers to stay on the outside? And to stay fully armed and prepared to go in armed if they have to. So if the sh- kicks off, then you rock and roll, okay?
0: Meanwhile, in other January 6th news, Kelly Ward, chair of the Arizona Republican Party, asserted her Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination to avoid answering questions during a January 6th select committee deposition. This should surprise no one. Ward was part of Arizona's slate of false electors after the 2020 election. Join me now is Ellie Mistal, justice correspondent for The Nation. And Ellie, let's go back to that because Ron Johnson essentially saying these were just people demonstrating how you might use a flagpole differently. No, but, and saying, well, that means it's not an armed insurrection. We've known now from video evidence, from evidence from the Stuart Rhodes trial, but also from the evidence played in the January 6th hearings previously that there were people with bats, people with guns, people with AR-15s, I mean, rifles and, and pistols, this was an armed insurrection. Is there any question of that?
4: How much do you want to bet that Ron Johnson is one of the senators that we just learned about from the Oath Keepers trial that was crying on the day of January 6th? How much do you want to bet that Ron Johnson is one of those people who was hiding in his office, crying, afraid of what would happen to him if his own constituents, if his own people got to him that day? Because the thing that we can't forget about January 6th, is that this mob that was unleashed upon our Capitol to stop the peaceful transfer of power, they weren't just looking for Democrats. Oh, they would have done horrible things had they found any Democrats, but they weren't just looking for Democrats. They were looking for Mike Pence. They were looking for Mitt Romney. They were looking for anybody who wasn't on Team MAGA. So for Ron Johnson to be out there saying that it wasn't uh, an armed insurrection when he knows full well the danger he and his colleagues are in, the only way, the only word that you can use to describe him, Joy, is a coward, because the only thing that Republicans elect at this point in time are cowards, people yeah. that lack the integrity of their own words and the, and and that simply lack the courage of their own convictions. And Ron Johnson, as usual, shows himself to be a coward with these comments prosecutions are ongoing um on the oath keepers. we've already learned as you pointed out that they the the extent to which they were armed um the extent to which they have been planning um this attack uh today in the trial um information came out that the Stuart Rhodes uh was texting uh, uh roger stone on november 7th on november 7th we gotta roll we gotta do something so that this was in the works this armed insurrection was in the works uh for a while and we're learning that at the trial
0: And what are the elements that the prosecution would need to learn? Because seditious conspiracy is not a it's not a it's not a thing that's charged often. What are the elements that they would need to prove in order to prove it went from it's more than just a bad, awful riot. And it's a a seditious conspiracy.
4: Yeah. One of the funny things to me is that their defense lawyer right now, um, the the key defense uh, uh, from for the Earth Keepers right now is saying that they weren't involved in the bulk of the violence on january 6th they were just it's like they were just doing a little insert they weren't in the bulk <laughs> of the violence yeah. it, it's a it's a legal defense because what you have to show is that they intended to stop the peaceful transfer of power they intended to violently disrupt um the 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 actions of congress and intent always is a fact intensive um thing to prove you don't just have to take their word for it you don't just have to oh well they say they weren't intending it so we What can we possibly? That's not how it works. But you do have to show through evidence, through the text messages, through their videotapes, that they had a plan that they set in motion to stop um, a a, a session of Congress and the peaceful transfer of power. We've all kind of seen what they did, but you have to prove that they intended to do what they did.
0: Right, right. Let me make a quick turn, because I would be remiss to have you right here in front of us right now and on on our TV without asking you about uh, old Clarence. Oh, Clarence. Uh, Clarence is the person who apparently oversees the 11th Circuit, right? That is his sort of area. And so each justice has I want you to explain why Clarence Thomas gets to be the person that decides whether Donald Trump's appeal to the Supreme Court, to his friends that he put on the court to try to, I guess, undo what the special master he asked for and the 11th Circuit has done regarding those stolen documents.
4: Yeah. So I want to take down the temperature a little bit, like as terrible as, and, and as corrupt as I worry that Thomas is with regard to issues concerning his wife the fact that he oversees the 11th circuit isn't the craziest issue, right? We have 13 circuit courts in this country. We only have nine Supreme Court justices. Some might argue that we should have more Supreme Court justices because there are 13 circuits, but I will leave that for another day. Some justices have two circuits. Clarence Thomas is one of those. He oversees the 11th circuit. Now, that job is largely ministerial. When an emergency appeal comes up, the justice over the seeing circuit looks at him, yes, this appears to be an actual appeal. The government, would you like to respond to this appeal? That is what's happening now. He gave the DOJ until Tuesday um, to, to hear it. Now, he does have the power to kind of dismiss it out of hand or refer it to the full court. Now, almost always of with things of any kind of import, they will refer it to the full court and then the full court will decide whether or not to hear the appeal. I would only get worried if Thomas doesn't kind of refer to the full court, right? Like that, so I said it's a ministerial function. At 30,000 feet, though, it's a ministerial function over a set of of allegations that could implicate his wife. So if Clarence Thomas had any, the scientific word is character, if he had any Mm. character he would understand that just for appearances sake, he would see yeah. this ministerial function to another Supreme Court justice to avoid yeah. the appearance of impropriety. But Clarence Thomas does not care about the appearance of impropriety because he is improper.
0: So 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 who does uh, Jenny Thomas have to e- have to email in order to undo the whole thing. Just kidding. I'm just playing Which I'm just messing with you. She ain't, go, she ain't got to email nobody, but she probably will anyway. Thank you very much. I Ellie told <laughs> like, hey, can get me because that's
4: also what she does.
0: Hook <laughs> me up. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate you, Ellie. Mital. Coming up, Congresswoman Cory Bush joins me on her political rise despite adversity and the ongoing battle for abortion access. We'll be right back. Three days after Cori Bush got to Washington as the first black woman ever to represent Missouri in Congress, she was already facing off with insurrectionists, readying herself for a fight. Later that day, January 6th, hours after police cleared the domestic terrorists, Congresswoman Bush introduced her first piece of legislation. She asked that Congress investigate her Republican colleagues who helped incite the assault on the Capitol by rejecting the results. Cori Bush is a fighter. And in her new book, The Forerunner, a story of pain and perseverance in America, she writes about how she was how she has overcome a great number of challenges from being unhoused, uninsured, underpaid and sexually assaulted three times by three different men whom she thought she could trust only to emerge stronger. In her book, she writes, I would not be the leader I am if it were not for the challenges I face to be where I am. And today, I work to make the path easier for others. And Congressman Cory Bush of Missouri joins me now, friend of the show, and appreciate you doing this. And congratulations on the book, I saw your unboxing. I saw oh, you man. and I, it was you and Ayanna Presley and, and uh, Rashida Talib doing an unboxing of your book. So I know you're super proud of it. Yes. And um, writing a book is a, is a whole challenge. Um, but your life has been a challenge. So talk a little bit about, you know, a lot of what your book is about, to be honest, is trauma it and is. experiencing trauma. How did that propel you to want to be a part of the political system?
6: You know, it was not something that was a dream of mine. It wasn't something that I aspired to. I actually ran the other way because, you know, my dad's been in politics for most of my life. And so I said, I'll never do that. Um, But it was like you said, it was through all of the trauma and just, you know, wondering if it's like it. Is it me like it do? I just it, it's something wrong with me. You know, I'm working full time, but I can't. Uh, you know, I don't have enough money, you know, the day that I get paid to pay all of my bills. I'm, you know, I can't pay my uh, student, you know, on my student loans because I I have to be able to pay rent and car note. You know, I didn't have enough money to put my children in the same daycare that I worked at and I worked there for 10 years you know just so many things and then the challenges of of uh, being uninsured challenges of the sexual assault and domestic violence but it was through after Michael Brown was killed um, after 400 days of protest you know realizing that some of this is policy violence and the only way to fix it Only way to make sure my son is not the next hashtag that my daughter is not the next hashtag that I'm not sitting back later thinking I would have, should have, could have, you know, looking at my son's body. This is the least the least that I could do is put myself on the line this way. So that's what I did.
0: Yeah, I'm going to read a little bit from your book, and you write this. Um, My work is to move with purpose, knowing that every minute people in our country are walking into new instances of preventable hurt, and that I have a responsibility to dismantle the systems of violence that too often cause that hurt. But the systems of violence that you had to face literally on day one of your, you know, your uh, sojourn in Congress, like literally you walked in to a system of violence. You've had to move your office because Marjorie Greene of Georgia was harassing you in the always of Congress. I wonder if the experience you've had, which is so different from the way most people's career in Congress starts, has changed the way you look at the system. Is there something wrong with our system that allows that violence to permeate the varied hallowed halls of Congress itself?
6: Absolutely, because some of those folks are in the system. They are a part of the system. You know, we we can look back over uh, over decades. We can look back over millenniums. Look, those folks are a part of the system. That is a part of it's. it's, uh, We're talking about uh, people who have been in government. I mean, that's how we had slavery in this country. That's how we had. Um, Jim Crow laws in this country. That's why we have we we have mass incarceration today and so many other things. We can't even get a livable wage, you know, in this country. We can't even get the close the racial wealth gap. We can't. You know, we still have environmental injustice and and uh, uh, housing crisis that's off the charts in this country right now in 2022. So, uh, so absolutely. But I think about being in the Capitol that day when that insurrection happened, I remember being in the, in the chambers, in the gallery, listening to one of my colleagues say, though on the house floor, those are my people outside. I'm standing up for my people that are outside. Well, you're people, this Republican said that your people Scaled walls. Just an oh, an hour, an hour or two later, your people killed people. Your people put our lives in danger. Your people are the ones that are. Some of them are in jail right now for this. And hopefully, those, if there are any people in Congress that actually did participate in the overturning of that Democratic election, if any of them participated, they have to be investigated. They need to be expelled from Congress. And if there are criminal charges, those should happen. Because we... I take my job seriously. There are lives on the line and I will not let folks that have um, political that, that are there for, uh, uh j- to play politics, folks that don't understand what it's like to live, um, with your skin being the, uh, being the, the problem that people see your skin causing a reaction in people simply because you showed up, I need them to understand that I will fight uh, uh, as long as I have breath to make sure that my people are safe. And if it means calling them out, I'll, I'll do that.
0: And I'll note that none of the people who said those are their people outside went out and joined their people. They hid from them and were uh, just as afraid as you were, I'm sure, that day. I want to ask you about the issue of abortion, because you've spoken so personally about all the issues you've had to deal with. When you hear people just casually calling names, women who had to or chose to get an abortion, uh, when you see 10-year-olds having to be taken out of their state in order to have a medical procedure um, that likely could save their lives, a 10-year-old can die having a baby... Just give me your reaction to that.
6: It's someone's body that does not it, it should not be the business of anyone else. You know, like my grandmother would say, mind your own self business. Um, you know, I, that 10 year old, what did we just teach that 10 year old? What would have happened if that 10 year old would have lost their life? You know, what what are we saying to society when society can come back and say, hey, you know, your body belongs to me. Um, yeah. that can say that your body belongs to me. But uh, yeah. nobody is talking about, uh, like I said before, yeah. regulating sperm, you know, there you go. And, and and but this is life or death. When we look at it, and I and I always give this stat because of uh, right. Representative Barbara Lee gave it. When black women, the leading cause of death for black women before Roe v. Wade was law was the sepsis that comes along with came along with the safe, uh, unsafe abortions. Yeah, we can't go back there.
0: Absolutely. The book is called The Forerunner. Um, Everyone, please check it out. It's a story of pain and perseverance in America. Congratulations on the book. There it is. Congressman Corey Bush. Thank you. We'll be right back. One last thing before we go. Do not forget to plan your vote. You can go to NBCnews.com slash plan your vote for information on registration, on deadlines, on early voting and more. It is so important. Couldn't be more important. Please vote. That's tonight's readout.